Good morning, everybody. Well, we're going to continue our worship of the Lord through the study of His Word this morning. If you're visiting us for the very first time, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors. And, you know, it, it's so cool that we have Brandon to, to lead our, our music ministry here at the Life of the Church and to help us to worship the Lord. And he brings us into God's presence on Sundays and other times just through the gift of music. But I'll, I will tell you this. How cool is it to have uh, a youth pastor who will weep over his, his kids? Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I, I, that's, that is such a precious thing. Um, Brandon's up here apologizing for it, and we're all saying, bring it on, baby, bring it on. Because <laughs> that's the heart of, of, of Brandon for, the, for our young people. Just a neat way to celebrate their accomplishments as well this morning. And speaking of celebrating accomplishments, I had a birthday this last week. I turned 59 on Wednesday, and um, a number of you sent cards and notes and words of encouragement, and so I, I want to thank you publicly for that. Um, uh, just a little bit of uh, sidebar information. All of the years that our kids were growing up, I did this thing on my birthday where I would generate or create a little a little slogan that would go with my birthday. And I, and I would share that with the kids on my birthday. And, and uh, so they began to ask for it every year. The slogans were kind of like, you know, 34 and going for more or 45 and feeling alive or, 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 or you know, 53 and feeling free, something like that. Well, my, our kids are now 30 and 28 and we were with them this last weekend and uh, celebrating birthdays. And, uh, and here they're still asking me for my, what's your slogan this year, Dad? What's your slogan going to be? And so I shared with them that it was 59 and still in my prime. <laughs> Amy, our daughter, said, way to go, Dad. Gave me two thumbs up. Brad said, that's cool. Lisa didn't say a word. <laughs> Just stayed silent. She was smart. She was really smart. But uh, yeah, no, but here's the, here's the kicker. So I, I'm feeling, you know, 59 is still in my prime. On Tuesday morning at Harvest Prayer Partners, uh, some cards came from those who are attending. And one of the cards just had a really nice word of encouragement for me, but it included this verse, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though your outward man is wasting away, your inner man is being renewed day by day. <laughs> oh man! So I'm gonna I'm gonna revise my um, my slogan on the basis of that verse because my old man is wasting away. So from now on, it'll be I'm uh, at least I'm 59, so I won't whine. How about that? <laughs> oh man! All right, well, enough of that. You didn't come for that. You came to hear God speak to us this morning, hopefully, and just use me as the mouthpiece for that. So let's move in that direction. Galatians chapter 2, church family, in your Bibles, New Testament, Galatians chapter 2, part of our ongoing study series in the book of Galatians. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Ron in the back will be sure to share one with you. There's a note page in your bulletin. Um, and I would encourage you to grab that. You will really want to have that today. Share it with, with someone if you both don't have, if you don't have one, maybe you can look on with someone else. Let me just commit our time to the Lord. And Heavenly Father, we just say 
This is your time, as all of our morning has been. It's been a joy to give to you in a variety of ways through our worship of music and celebrating uh, our high schoolers and uh, offering up our gifts and our prayers. And, and so now, Lord, we just would love to worship you through the study of your word. And, and Heavenly Father, my plea, my petition is that it not be me, that, that uh, no one came to hear me today. They came to hear you. And so to that end, I simply yield myself up to you. May your truth just flow out of your word today in a way that we cannot possibly miss it. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, but we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, which you do not need to turn to. We're going to put it up on the screen, and I'm going to invite all of us just to read aloud this incredible verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's read it together. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can we say amen to that? Yeah. Here in this single verse, church family, the Holy Spirit compresses the most important truth that you and I will ever know. The great message of the scriptures, the central theme of the entire Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And there is no one in this room this morning, there is no one in the world today who does not need to know the truth of this verse. Would you agree with that? God the Father made Jesus, his one and only sinless son, to be sin for us, to take our sin onto himself so that in him we might be able to have the righteousness of God applied to our lives. With these words, God sets in motion the amazingly wonderful, truly incomprehensible story of our salvation. Holy God says, sinner, give me in simple Childlike faith, your guilt, your condemnation, your separation from me, your eternity without me because of the sin in your life. Give all of that to me and I will give you through my son Jesus salvation and forgiveness and pardon and redemption and eternal life. It is the greatest offer in the history of the world, the history of the universe. My sin for God's love, God's forgiveness, God's heaven. Through faith in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Nothing else added to that either, by the way. Not my good works, not my, my meritorious efforts, not my godly behavior, not my dutiful rule keeping. Just Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. My full faith, my trust in him apart from anything that I am or anything that I do brings me into a personal relationship with the living God now and it assures me of an eternal home with my God forever when my life on this earth is done. This is the good news, isn't it? This is the good news of the Bible. This is the true gospel. Church family, today the Holy Spirit will do in Galatians chapter 2 what he does in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He's going to compress the gospel, the true gospel, down into a single verse. It will look and sound different than 5.21, but its truth, its message will be exactly 
the same. And it's verse 16 of Galatians chapter 2. And it says, in fact, let's not, let's not read it off the page. Let's read it off the screen together, just like we did a moment ago. Let's read Galatians 2.16, where we're going to be hanging out today. Let's read it aloud together. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That is a loaded verse. There's no one in this room. There's no one in this world who does not need to know the truth of this verse. And church family, it's in, it's in knowing the truth of this verse and being reacquainted with it because we maybe already know the truth of this verse. It's out of that that our glory and our praise and our worship and our service and our love for God flows. And so it's a verse that we really do want to understand. We're going to unpack this verse today with the Spirit's help. There's just so much here in this one verse that I, I truly don't want to pass over it briefly in order to fulfill some kind of an agenda on our way to studying the book of Galatians. We'll take however long we need to take to do the study, but I do not believe I'm serving you, certainly not serving this verse's glorious truth by, by just passing over its truths today to take a larger section. So this is where we're going to be. Now, for the benefit of some who might not have been with us, uh, maybe ever before it's your first time to be with us, but also because a, a quick review never hurts any of us. And because verse 16 does fit into something larger than itself, let's just recall how we got to where we are in this moment in the book of Galatians. Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas have journeyed into south-central Turkey, into uh, a non-Jewish province of Rome called Galatia, and when they journey into this region, they bring this truth. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The true gospel. And they share it with these non-Jewish men and women and families in Galatia. And through this effort by Paul and Barnabas, they're enlarging God's kingdom. And many Galatian Gentiles believe in Jesus as their Savior. And they're learning now what does it mean to live in a personal relationship with the, God, the, the one true God. They're learning about that. But after Paul and Barnabas leave Galatia, false teachers called Judaizers, we come to learn about them, these false teachers come into Galatia after Paul has left, and now they're going to they're gonna share a new message, a, a, a different message. They come in with a message that you, you don't just need Jesus in your life. You need to add all of the other Jewish traditions and customs and rituals and dietary rules that the Jews live by. You need to observe the, the Jewish holidays and holy days. And, and basically, though you're a Gentile, you'll need Jesus, but you really need to become Jewish in your practice in order to be saved. It's not just a kind of a, a thing you'll do. It's part of how you will uh, be accepted by God saved so so it's, it's it's really jesus plus other things equals everything that was the judaizers message and paul learns about this that this is happening to his friends and so he's inspired by the holy spirit to pen the words of galatians this letter to address this threat 
He knows that his friends are in great danger spiritually. Because the moment anyone tries to add anything to the work of Jesus, his death and his resurrection is the basis of our salvation, the moment anyone tries to add anything to what Jesus has already done, the true gospel gets corrupted, doesn't it? It, 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 gets, it gets compromised. It becomes ruined. Either Jesus did it all for us or he didn't do it at all. That's the truth. And so Paul writes Galatians in order to recover uh, for these baby believers their full confidence in the Jesus plus nothing message. And because the Judaizers had trashed Paul's credibility, he has to recover that, which he has done now in several ways up through chapter 2 and verse 14, which is, is all ground now that we have covered. So now, finally, Paul senses that he can really get into what matters most, the, the, the true gospel, who Jesus is, what he has done, and what that means for us. And that's really where we are. Now, the Judaizers had taught the Galatians that because the Jews have had such a long history with God, they automatically have something special that the Gentiles don't just by being born Jewish. And since the Jewish identity was and still, in fact, is to this very day so intimately intertwined with the Mosaic law, all of those Old Testament customs and rituals and traditions and rule keeping, the Judaizers were saying, You've you, you got to have Jesus, but you've got to do the rules. And Paul says, absolutely, positively not. Verse 15, he writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then you will recognize this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And we'll stop right there. Now, most... Bible teachers, most uh, Bible scholars see verses 16 to 21 as, as really being the hinge on which the entire book of Galatians hangs. It's kind of like the, the bedrock on which the letter rests. And I would very much agree with that, with that assessment. These are the verses of this letter. If we could only have one scrap of ancient parchment from the Galatian letter, this would be the part that I would want. This is the part that we would want right here. So let's join Paul as he passionately now fights for the Galatians and for the true gospel. And, and we will choose today to stay just in verse 16 and pick up the, the richness of the rest of this, Lord willing, next time. Now, there are in verse 16 two truths about the gospel that he wants to make sure his friends get. 
The Holy Spirit wants to make sure we get these two truths as well. He's going to add more to what the true gospel is all about as he moves through the letter, but he is determined to start with these two supercritical truths. On your note page, what are they? Truth number one, every sinner's greatest need is to be what? Justified before a holy God. That's truth number one. It's going to flow out of this verse. On the back side of your note page, what's truth number two? Without faith, it is impossible to be justified. If we get these two truths today, if we take these away from verse 16, we'll have, we'll have accomplished something incredibly special. So let's go with the first truth there on your note page. Every sinner's greatest need is to be justified before a holy God. This church family is my greatest need. I tell you, my greatest need. And I submit to you that it is your greatest need too. You might never have thought to articulate, articulate your greatest need in your life quite like this, but it is the truth. Our greatest need is to be justified. Paul says, verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know, we Jews, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, is it only me, or do you also get a sense that the word justified is a critical word in your understanding of salvation truth. It's right there. Three times Paul is, is hammering this home. And, and I, I will confidently proclaim, because the scripture does it here, that there is no more glorious declaration that God uh, could ever give to you or to me than for us to hear the words from him, you, dear one, stand justified before me. There is nothing that you or I could ever hear that is more glorious than those words. If we could hear nothing else, this is what I want to hear. Tim, you stand justified before me because everything hinges on that. This was never more true than it was in the life of a, of a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther, when he discovered the word justification and what it meant, it literally changed his life. Martin Luther was a, a dutiful, rule-keeping Catholic monk living in the 1500s in Germany. And Luther was earnestly trying to win the approval of God. He was, he was so deeply desirous of knowing whether or not God had accepted him. And, and so he was working very hard to do everything that he could, thinking that if he did enough, God would, would want him in heaven with him. And when he wasn't doing good deeds and working really hard that way, he was inflicting harm on himself. He would whip himself mercilessly. He would climb flights of stone stairs on his hands and his knees until they bled uh, as a way of trying to to uh, pay for his sins. And, and none of it worked. None of it brought him peace. Uh, 
but it's what he did. And it never would have brought him peace because no one is saved by being good, right? Nobody is saved by doing good works or avoiding the bad stuff. That's not how it goes. But as he read the Galatian letter, and as he later read the book of Romans, Luther kept coming upon verses that spoke of being justified before God on the basis of nothing but the merits of what Jesus has done. His, his works, his, thought, his merits, his, 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 his uh, labors to try to be good was never mentioned in the scriptures. It was always Jesus. Just faith in what Jesus had already done for the sinner in paying the sin debt for them. And so by the light of a candle in a German monastery, God opened the eyes of understanding to Martin Luther. Uh, He understood what this word justified meant. And and what came out of that was the the Protestant Reformation. The works-based religion of the Catholic Church would be turned upside down by this new discovery of what it means to be justified. Today, you and I, Brothers and sisters, we are, we are living extensions of what God showed to Martin Luther on the pages of Scripture, what he discovered in this one verse. Luther will later write about all of this, and he will write these words about justification. He says, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary is it, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into our heads continually. (laughs) Now, maybe that's what we're going to be doing here this morning, is beating this truth of justification into our heads, but we'll try to use a velvet hammer as we do that. So what exactly is, then, this thing that Paul writes about called justification? What is this? Well, on your note page, check out the, the rather full paragraph that I provided for you because I know you w- wouldn't necessarily remember all this that we're about to, to go into, so that's why I took the pains to put it on this page. You can come back to it. Um, but let me read this for us. Even though I know you know how to read, let me read for us. Justification. This is an instantaneous legal action taken by holy God the moment that true faith in Jesus is expressed in a sinner's life. On the basis of the death of sinless Jesus, who dies on a cross in the sinner's place, God declares the believing sinner forgiven. Justified means not guilty and fully righteous. God legally sets Jesus' sinless, righteous life over the sinner's guilty sin record. So that when he looks at the sinner, he sees only the righteousness of his son. Because a sinner's justification rests 100% on the merits of what Jesus has done and 0% on what the sinner does or does not do, there is no boasting by the sinner, but only eternal gratitude to God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Now that's a pretty full explanation of this word justification. More could be said. It could also probably be said shorter. But justification, though the word sounds intimidating, 
Sounds kind of theological. Sounds like it maybe belongs in a seminary classroom. It really is not a, a hard word to, to understand. And, and again, church family, we all need to understand this word because it's out of our understanding of this word that our, our, our praise of God flows. It's, it, it comes out of that. So it's really important. It's literally a word that, that came out of the courtroom of Paul's day, first century. It's a, it's, it's, it's a judicial declaration made by God. It, that, the word is, is dikaiao, but it, it, it means justified in English. But it's really a judicial declaration made by God, a verdict reached by God and read from heaven over a sinner's life when they trust Jesus. The verdict that God reads is not guilty and fully righteous. Has God read that verdict over your life through faith in Jesus? That's the question of the hour, isn't it? Justification happens the moment any person, any person says, I'm a sinner, God is holy, I am not, I can never pay for the sin in my life myself. I add new sin all the time. I can't undo what I am by any amount of being a good rule keeper I renounce any trust in me. I throw my whole self in saving faith upon Jesus and what he did for me. The sinless one died for sinful me. In that moment of expressed faith in what Jesus has done, God says, you're justified. That is what we need more than anything else. God doesn't change this this brand new Christian who makes this confession in Jesus. doesn't change us in some radical way right in that moment of confession. Change is going to come in our Christian life, uh, in our relationship with Jesus as we experience the work of the Spirit of God in our life, as as we spend more time in the Word. But at that moment of justification, God, God does something extraordinary. He makes a legal declaration in heaven that says of that sinner who makes this confession, you're no longer guilty. You are fully righteous in my sight. Justified. Now, to to illustrate this, yesterday, uh, John Lee and and, and Paige were were married. Beautiful ceremony over at Idlewild Pines. Uh, Just a great time. And, and, And as part of that time, they stood before the pastor and a gathering of of friends and family, and and near the end of that ceremony, the the pastor made a legal declaration. He said, by the authority that is given to me as a minister of the gospel, in accordance with the laws of this state, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Just a few seconds before that, John and Paige had, had been an engaged couple. Now they are husband and wife. Legally married. Nothing inside of them changed. Nothing that we could observe changed in that moment when that, the pastor made that declaration. But their place, their, their position, their standing changed incredibly. Before God, before their family, before their friends, before the state, before each other. 
And the result of that three-second declaration by the pastor changed everything in their lives. And that declaration will now have a lifelong implication for John and Paige. They will embark now on a, on a new journey, a journey of growing ever more fully into what they were legally declared to be yesterday. They will not stop growing. They will not stop maturing. They will not, not stop learning what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a wife. They're going to do that for the rest of their lives. But in that moment, they were legally declared married. Now, this is also true. This same dynamic is true of God's justification of a sinner. By a divine declaration rooted in the, in the mercy and grace of God, God issues a verdict. Not guilty. Fully righteous. To anyone who expresses genuine repentance and saving faith in Jesus. No works, no rule keeping, no self-generated righteous conduct. Just Jesus. Verse 16 again, the first line. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Last line. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. A sinner's legal standing before God changes instantly. And God sees the sinner forever differently solely on the basis of what Jesus has done. The Christian will then for the rest of their life grow into that relationship and what that means. When a sinner is justified, their sin debt is paid by Jesus. Their guilt record before God is wiped clean. As if they had never committed those sins. But here's the real kicker. Justification also means that God applies the righteousness of Jesus, the sinless standing of Jesus to the sinner's life. Amen is right, Trudy. Amen. God legally assigns Jesus' righteousness to me, to you. He does that. Transfers the righteous, sinless life of Jesus to the sinner's account, if you will, to the sinner's life so that the sinner is declared righteous in standing before God even as Jesus is sinless and righteous. I mean, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. Justified. And by doing that, through this legal declaration of justification, God, from that moment of our confession of Jesus, from that moment on, God sees us as if we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So I would ask you, how does God see you this morning, my friend? How does he see you? Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? Is that not an amazing truth? Is that not the most glorious truth ever? To think that he would see you in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, the other side of it is, if you've never confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're still dressed in your old clothes. And what does the Bible say about our old clothes, our old unrighteous life? What does it say about that? It's filthy rags, right? That's what it is. Isaiah 64, verse 6. By justifying in Jesus, apart from any work that we do, God elevates us to a place of full acceptance 
We never have to wonder, where do I stand with my God? And that was the glorious truth that Luther discovered as well. It changed his life. It changed ours. Absolutely unfathomable. Let's read verse 16 again aloud together. And let's do it this time by emphasizing those three places where we find this word. Let's just do that together as a church family. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, this is certainly not the only place Paul writes about this glorious truth. In fact, there are a number of other passages that ignited the faith fires in Martin Luther and should do the same in us. So there on your note page, check these out. Romans chapter 3, near the bottom of your note page, verses 21 and following. Check this out. It's unbelievable. But now, Paul writes, a righteousness from God apart from law from rule-keeping, being a good person, earning merits for before God, all that stuff, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in who? Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, poor or rich, educated or untrained, young or old. It doesn't matter. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified how? Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. If you flip your note page over, Paul continues, verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Are you not glad this morning, fellow Christian, that you are not earning your salvation, trying to work your way into God's uh, acceptance and love and approval? Oh, man, we are free. And Paul's going to take us there before we're done with Galatians. As we said there in the last part of that definition paragraph, because a sinner's justification rests 100% on the merits of what Jesus has done and 0% on what the sinner does or does not do, there is no boasting but only eternal gratitude from the sinner to God the Father and the Lord Jesus. But check out a couple of other verses. Romans chapter five, chapter 4, verse 5, Luther reveled in this truth. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as what? Righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus, credited to your account. Not guilty. Fully righteous. And we can't leave out Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God. We are accepted through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. No sin stands between us and him because Jesus paid all of it for us and then rose triumphant, victorious over sin in the grave. We could never, ever, as we said a moment ago, ever 
have anything more precious come from the mouth of our God towards us than the words, Dear one, you stand justified before me. But as Paul makes very clear in verse 16, and in each of these other passages that we just read, justification is laid hold of not by works, but by what? But by faith. By faith. And that's the other truth that Paul wants us to catch this morning. Without faith, it is impossible to be justified. So let's talk about that. Let's tease that out quickly. No one can read verse 16 and not come away with the conclusion that faith is absolutely essential. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times in this one verse, Paul declares that salvation is only through faith in Jesus and never ever by working for it. He drives a stake through the very heart of all of the claims that the Judaizers were making. You don't need Jesus plus other things. You just need Jesus. Nothing else. And so verse 16 really is as forceful and unequivocal a statement about the doctrine of salvation by faith alone in Jesus alone as we will ever find on the pages of the Scripture. You'll never find it more clearly stated than this. And let me remind us about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says it so clearly there in the middle of your page. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Holy Spirit through the Hebrew writer isn't just saying that it's unlikely or it's difficult or it's hard to please God apart from faith. He says it's what? It's impossible. This term faith, what does it mean? Well, it means trust. And when we take that word into the context of our Bibles, into the context of our, of our Christianity, we, we emerge with that expanded definition you see there on your page. Again, allow me to read it for us if you don't mind. Faith. Faith is a supernatural reliance upon God, trusting Him completely for who he is in his person and for what he has said in his word and for what he has done for the sinner through his son Jesus. Biblical faith reflects the concrete conviction that every promise God has ever made, he will keep. Real faith involves the whole person, mind, emotions, and will. The mind embraces by faith the gospel's content that Jesus alone saves sinners. The heart affirms by faith that salvation through Jesus is applicable to one's own sin-dead soul. And the will responds with full trust in the person of Jesus as the only hope for eternal life. Yet even in this, true saving faith comes to us as a gift from God. It is not something we supply, thus ensuring that all the credit and all the glory for our salvation goes to Father and Son alone. Is that good? Man. 
So when we talk about faith as a Christian, we're talking about having a saving trust in a person, the person of Jesus. To say it another way, we trust God with our present and our future, having put our faith in what he accomplished for us in the past. We're placing our trust in every promise that God, who cannot lie, by the way, every promise that he makes in his word, and the result is our salvation. We're believing that God will save us from the just penalty of our sin and from an eternity separated from in hell from, from him in hell because we have put our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done, not what we have done. Our faith has that goal, our salvation. And brother, sister, if that's the goal, we will not be disappointed. Check it out. First Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine. Apostle Peter writes this there on your note page. Though you have seen him, have not seen him, that is, you've not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Someone might ask, well, well how, how do I have this saving faith? How do I get that? It's a great question. The middle part of that definition that we read a moment ago answers the question. Real faith involves the whole person. Mind, emotions, and will. First, the mind embraces by faith the gospel's content that Jesus alone saves a sinner. That's the content of the gospel. The content has to be correct. Whatever we're going to pour our faith into, boy, it better be right Otherwise, we will be sincere, but we'll be sincerely what? We'll be sincerely wrong, unless the content is right. So what's the content? 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Is that the right content? Is that what you put your faith into? That content? How about Ephesians 1.7? In him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Is that the right content? How about Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Is that the right content? Our minds embrace by faith the gospel's content. But right content does not save. Even Satan knows the content, right? And yet he, he, he adamantly hates with every fiber of his being the content. So we know the content alone doesn't save. The mind by faith embraces the content is true. My sin, my sin put Jesus on the cross, not someone else's, but mine. And, that, and then that's where we get this next part of the, the definition. My heart affirms by faith that salvation through Jesus is, is applicable to my sin-dead soul. Saving faith personalizes the gospel content. These truths apply to to me. They are relevant to, to me. They will work for me. God loves me. Jesus gave himself for me. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. There's a personal, emotional connection with the promises of God. And that connection is made with faith. And then the will responds with full trust in the person of Jesus as the only hope 
for forgiveness and eternal life. The will responds. Here, saving faith means we throw our whole weight onto the claim of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We hold nothing back. We can say, I could say this morning, you know, I, I really do trust. I have faith in this chair that if I sat down in this chair right now, it will hold me up. I believe that. I believe that. But it's just words until I do what? Until I get come off this platform and I sit down in that chair. At that point, I have exercised my will and I have committed myself to the content, haven't I, of that claim. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Faith. It is, it is an act that involves all of these things. Content, my heart, my will. And yet even as we believe all of this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 near the bottom of your page reminds us that even the faith to believe does not come from us, but from who? It comes from God, doesn't it? It comes from Him as a gift. Let's read it together here. I'll I'll read it for us. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. In other words, even the faith to believe in Jesus as one Savior is not something that you and I come up with or produce. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can what? Boast. Saving faith is a gift given to us from God while we're still in a place of spiritual deadness due to the sin in our life. Not yet pronounced justified. God gives us this gift of faith to ensure that all the glory for our salvation goes to Father and Son and not to us. I mean, just think about this. Even I, I could say, well, I came to faith in Jesus when I was 12. You didn't come to faith in Jesus till you were 22. I had more spiritual insight at an earlier age than you. That's what we might do with that. So, so God strips all that out of the way and says, even the faith to believe in Jesus comes from me to you as a gift. So there's no boasting. And yet, you know, having peeled back the layers on these two great words, justification and faith, like we've done this morning, I still find myself wanting just to settle down into a a little Sunday school acrostic that I learned a long time ago. Because it just conveys all the essentials for me. Faith, F-A-I-T-H. What does it mean? Forsaking all I trust. That's it. That is it, isn't it? That's verse 16. That's verse 16. Every sinner's greatest need is to be what? Justified. And we cannot be justified without faith. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. No works, no effort on my part, no goodness flowing out of me. Totally Jesus, the true gospel. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, it will take a lifetime.
to digest all of this. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Galatians 2.16. You couldn't have said it any more plainly than this. It's even possible in this room this morning there was one or more than one who came through the, through the doors thinking, you know, I, I, if I just do enough, God may, may want me. If I just work hard enough, if I just avoid the bad stuff, he'll, maybe he'll want me. May no one leave today with any other truth but then the truth of Galatians 2.16, that Jesus has done it all because we never could. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We love you, Lord. And we so love hearing the words, Dear one, you have been justified through faith in Jesus. It makes an eternity of difference for us and brings great glory to you. May it be so in Christ's name. And we all say, Amen and Amen.